0: The Spirit of Christ be with you. When I was really little, my mom would read aloud chapter books for my sister and I, like so many of you moms and dads do. And I distinctly remember hearing stories like Owls in the Family by Farley Mowat, or The Dog Who Wouldn't Be. She read us a whole lot of Little House on the Prairie, and of course, the Canadian classic Anne of Green Gables, naturally. And not just any old Anne, Anne with an E, the trope of the feisty, redheaded orphan, fortuitously adopted by the aging sister and brother, Marilla and Matthew Cuthbert. Anne is talkative. She's full of imagination and drama. She's a romantic dreamer, an idealist, a poet at heart. She's a wholehearted person and she's loyal. Anne of Green Gables really struck a chord with me, like she has with so many readers over the years. Anne was always in pursuit of what she called kindred spirits, friends who would understand. And know and love her. Like here when she says, Marilla, she demanded presently, do you ever think that I shall have a bosom friend in Avonlea? A what kind of friend? A bosom friend. An intimate friend. You know, a really kindred spirit to whom I could confide my inmost soul. I've dreamed of meeting her My whole life. Now, I needed a little clarification when my mom read this bit to me. Like, what exactly is a bosom, really? And is it what I think it is? And my mom assured me, a bosom isn't just something women have. She explained that our bosom is another name for our chest. And whoever we are, men or women, we all have a bosom. And it's nothing to be embarrassed about. But she added, a bosom is more than just our chest. The bosom is a way of naming the core of ourselves. Our heart, our deep and sincere parts, the parts of us that hug and embrace and feel. People like Abraham and David had a bosom in the Bible. A bosom is something everyone has. That's a pretty good answer. Thanks for that answer, Mom. Thank you, really. But imagine me in grade two or three, hanging out with one of my neighborhood friends, and picture the look on his face and the response I received when I asked him if he'd be interested in being bosom friends. (laughs) Things did not go as planned. Life is full of risks and dangers, like the times when we share that core part of ourselves, our heart, the deep and sincere parts of us, the parts of us that hugs and feels and embraces. And we expose it to the world like a raw nerve. And we get shot down or beat up are disappointed, disillusioned, and wounded. And so, quite understandably, so many of us are guarded and careful, armed with an assortment of defense mechanisms, comebacks, and preventative measures. In church land, we ask people to do this a whole lot, don't we? How can I pray for you? It's a really intense question. Do you really want to know how you can pray for me? Scary stuff. The famous research professor and brilliant speaker, Brené Brown, reminds us in so much of her work that true belonging only happens when we present our authentic and imperfect selves to the world. But what a daunting and terrifying proposition this can be. The story of Pentecost that we continue today is one of those crazy, amazing Bible stories. A room full of followers who had very recently lost their leader. By this time, they had witnessed all kinds of astonishing wonders and experienced some really terrifying days. All as participants in Jesus' life and work and ministry. And so, they're waiting in Jerusalem, just like Jesus told them to before he left them. They're together in a room somewhere in Jerusalem on the day of celebration of the first sheaves of the harvest. And then a great deafening wind blows in, and tongues of fire are hovering above their heads, The Spirit is finding people's voices and filling people's ears. Disciples who are suddenly gifted with the supernatural ability to speak and understand other languages. They're given the sudden onset of clarity and courage, passion and charisma. Remarkable conviction and public speaking ability. This force has launched these once confused and scattered, fumbling, questioning followers into the crowded city streets and into the whole world. These are people being repurposed and invigorated, made into prophets and preachers, apostles and living witnesses. The story of the Spirit's power unleashed at long last in the world. This is the story of regular folks, unexpectedly gifted, possessed even, propelled by the Spirit of God breaking into our space. A new people. God with us. God in us. The miracle of God's nearness in human bodies. The most intimate revelation God's closeness in the bosom of humanity. The church is a gathering of people like this. The whole thing is made possible and animated by the Spirit of God. This same Spirit who hovered over the chaotic waters of creation is now diving right in to the turbulent sea of humanity. People from every nation under heaven, upcycled as visionaries, dreamers, prophets, and proclaimers, dissimilar and at odds in so many perceived ways, separated by animosity, history, race, language, geography, boundaries, and customs, and traditions, and yet now drawn together as one people because the Spirit is poured out on us all, alive in us, showing us how we might tear down walls even as we lift one another up, giving us eyes to see the ways that we are intimately connected and related, helping us see new paths of love and mercy, holy justice and peacemaking, These new realities would change the face of global history and bring the church into the world. But if we look at the record of this community of God in our own lives and throughout all the centuries, the gift of the day of Pentecost was just the start of a real long journey. And the Spirit does not smooth out all the bumps in the road. And what a bumpy journey it has been. The church has often been an agent of new reality. But we have many, many times been deeply implicated in the ongoing exploitation of our planet and its peoples. Sometimes we're guilty bystanders. Sometimes we're even collaborators. How often have we, the church, strayed? And what lessons do we in 2020 still have to learn? When we compare the day of Pentecost and that crazy, crazy miracle to the reality of so many church communities, it's hard not to find ourselves sometimes more than a little discouraged. What is the holdup after all? Why don't we see more impact or results or outcomes? This is the same Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit of creation is working on a strange and frustrating timetable. And the Spirit seems plenty okay with leaving a lot of our questions entirely unanswered. In the days of the early church, when people were still figuring this out, I'm sure they had a lot of questions. Probably a lot of the same questions we have today. How long is this whole project going to take? What will this look like in our local community? What is this supposed to look like in my own life? The Apostle Paul, of course, knew this all too well. He'd spent years of travel, planting churches, preaching, teaching, pastoring, and pouring his life into church communities, sharing words of encouragement and connection, calling dear friends by name, calling people to life in the spirit. The Apostle Paul knew well enough just how messy and ugly the church can be. Paul had seen the transforming power of the church at its best and the all-too-real moments of the church when it is ugly and divisive, mean and selfish and self-serving. Paul also knew those personal moments after a crash, the great letdown, the times when our best energies and efforts and passions are met with persistent and banal malice in the world. And so about 25 years after that wild day in Pentecost, Paul's letter to the Romans fleshes out this for us in so many ways. Page after page of it, actually. In the 8th chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans, he gives us truly what I would consider one of the high points of Scripture. Good news for the discouraged and overwhelmed. Encouragement for the bewildered and the beat down and the exhausted people. We read this early in the service, but let's hear a bit of it again. The whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption and redemption of our bodies. And likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Scriptures are the story of the fleshing out of God's grace, that grace of God's long reach, finding its way to the place of our great need, the place of our complete and utter ignorance, the Spirit interceding with sighs too deep for words. Grace is the Creator's great accommodation to our weakness and our littleness. Grace is our own mess made new. Friends, are you not sure what to do? Are you fresh out of ideas? Maybe you came from a tradition that told you that having all the right answers was what you needed. But did you overexpose your heart to the harsh light of the world? Have you found yourself in the place of bewilderment, disappointment, restlessness? Are you disillusioned, frustrated, hemmed in, angry? Do you feel entirely underprepared for this? Well, the scriptures tell us that the space of ignorance and confusion and limitation and misunderstanding, the all too common side effects of our humanity, this is where you may find the spirit of creation at work in you. Our scope is so severely limited, and we know not what tomorrow will bring. But when we confess that we really don't know how to pray, we are making room for the transformation of our own hearts. Space for the Spirit to do the work of renovation with fresh possibilities, insight, and healing. The rushing wind of the Spirit, tongues of fire and miracle spirit intercedes for us. Intercedes in that intimate and vulnerable recess of our hearts, the troubled spaces of our soul, groaning with us, even groaning in a new thing so that we might be sent out in courage and power as living witnesses to the mercies of God that we might be prophets who speak hope into the world not because we have all of the answers but because the spirit's fire burns in our hearts and cries out for a new reality This is the story of the spirit of creation, making new things in folks like you and me. This is how God gets things done. He uses hearts and bodies like yours and mine, set free in the world and alive. Thanks be to God.